0: Well, welcome to Church Online. Thank you for joining us for worship. You know, it's September now, and that means elections are coming up very soon. And you know, with every U.S. election, the presidential candidate will always promise us a better world and a greater quality of life. In 2016, Donald Trump promised that he would help make America great again. Before him, Barack Obama was telling us that we would move forward because earlier in his term, he had promised that he would bring about change that we can all believe in. Before him, George W. Bush told us that he would make this place a safer world and a more hopeful America. And the reality is we look at the track record with every elected president, there has always been debate and division over whether or not that man has truly brought us closer to the goal or further away. And every election reveals this one thing, I believe. I believe it reveals that deep in our souls, we long for a leader who will lead us to utopia, who will lead us to a place where life can be enjoyed And peace is our reality. And so as we have just another election coming up, the reality is that whoever the leader elected will be, it ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen, at least not in a way where we can all agree, not perfectly the way our souls desire. And so I have some bad news and some good news. The bad news is, The world is never going to be a perfect place under our next leader. But I want to spend the rest of the time giving you the good news. I want to spend the rest of the time giving you the good news. Last week, Pastor Gary laid out from Scripture how the Old Testament feasts line up with the end time events. How each feast looks forward to and foreshadows an end time event, which we've been covering in this series. If you have been with us in the series, we talked about how Christ will come again for his church and rapture up his church. And right after that, there's going to be the introduction of a seven-year tribulation period. And in that period, we will be introduced to the Antichrist who will dominate the world during that time. But after those seven years of tribulation, Christ will come again to the earth in his second coming And when he comes again, Christ will establish a kingdom on earth, a kingdom which we call the millennial kingdom. The millennial kingdom. That kingdom is not a place where a bunch of young millennials are found. No, we have a term for that. That's called Instagram or TikTok. But the millennial kingdom is called that because millennial means a thousand years. 1,000 years. And in Revelation chapter 20, which we're going to be for today, I want to encourage you to to turn there. But in Revelation chapter 20, six times it mentions this 1,000-year period, the millennium. And I want to take you a little bit deeper into an understanding of what the millennium or the millennial kingdom will be like by answering three very simple questions. What happens before the millennium? what happens during the millennium and what happens after the millennium. And so before we get into that, let's, let's bow our heads and pray and let's ask the Lord to lead us into that truth. Let's pray. Father God, we look at the times we're living in and it's not hard to realize that we are not in a perfect world. Lord, I'm reminded of the two sheriff deputies who were just shot last weekend, ambushed while sitting in their cars, and I'm reminded that we do not live in a world of peace. That there is a whole lot of hate and animosity and resentment and oppression and injustice and racism. And and, and there's so much being manifested right now and, and being put on display. God, I pray for those two sheriff deputies, Lord, that you would help them to continue to recover and heal, Lord, that you would restore them to their families, that you would restore them to good health, that you would restore them to the workforce. But God, as you work on restoring them, God, we pray that you would restore this world. And Lord, we know that that cannot happen without Christ as our King as the king of people's hearts. So Lord, we pray that you would be restoring people to yourself. God, use this message if you would as part of your plan. And God, I pray that as we listen to your word, as we open up the Bible, that you would allow the words to be living and active in every single heart for every single ear that hears, whether we already know you or not, I pray that you would do something deep and transformative. God, bring peace to our hearts. And so, Lord, we give you this time. Speak to us, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, three questions. What happens before the millennium? What happens during the millennium? And what happens after the millennium? So, let's answer that first question. What happens before? So, when Jesus comes back to this earth, something happens to the devil. Let me show you what happens. Revelation chapter 20 We'll start from verse 2. It says that the angel is going to come. And in verse 2 it says, That angel of the Lord will seize the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. Now you pause right there. Now, if you remember, one chapter earlier in Revelation 19, we learned that the Antichrist, right, who was a human leader, the Antichrist, an agent of Satan, was thrown into eternal hell. He was thrown into this place the Bible calls the lake of fire, the lake of sulfur. That is a permanent hell. No one's coming out of there. And yet we look closely, and the devil, for those... 1,000 years isn't thrown into the lake of fire. It says he's thrown into the abyss. And the abyss is what the Jews understood as a place of bottomless pit. It's a bottomless pit where the demons and the evil spirits would dwell. But we know from this passage that because he will be set free later for a short time, that the abyss is not a permanent place. It's kind of like the difference between jail and prison. Right? We understand prison to be that final place where criminals are punished. But jail is kind of that holding place where they will go to until they are thrown into prison. Well, the Antichrist is thrown into spiritual prison. He is in torment in the lake of fire. But the devil isn't yet. The devil will be in the abyss for 1,000 years. And then for a temporary time, he will be released. But here's what we know from this passage in Revelation 20, that while the devil is locked up, so shall his influence be. So his influence will too be locked up, and he will be unable to deceive the nations. He won't be deceiving the people for those 1,000 years. That's revealed to us in verse 3. So he will no longer be the ruler of this world, As 2 Corinthians chapter 4 tells us, he currently is. But during those 1,000 years, instead, Jesus will be the ruler of this world. Not just spiritually in heaven, but literally and physically here on earth. So that's what happens before the millennium. Satan is locked up in the abyss. Now, the next question I want to answer is, what happens during the millennium? And here's where I want to spend most of our time, because the Bible actually says a whole lot about what it's going to be like during the millennium. And I've taken a lot of the scriptures, and I've boiled it down to three things I want to share with you that I believe describe what the millennium will be like. Number one, if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down, but in the millennium, in the millennial kingdom, life will be robust. Write that down. Life will be robust. Meaning that our lives will be full. We'll be living strong and healthy lives. We will be thriving. Our lives will be long lived. Our lives will be robust. Now, The question, which is an interesting question, is will people die in the millennium? And the answer is, yes, some people will die in the millennium. Why? Why will some people die? Well, because sin still exists. It's still a kingdom on earth, and sin will still exist. And yet though sin will not dominate, and it won't be prevalent in the world, it will still exist. And so in the millennium, we know that there's going to be some with immortal bodies, some with glorified bodies. Remember the church is raptured up with Jesus to heaven. They're glorified and they will too return to earth with Jesus to live in the millennial kingdom. And so some will be immortal and glorified in their bodies. Yet some living in the millennium will be mortal. They will not have glorified bodies yet. For example, the the people who become Christians and Christ followers in the tribulation, who survive the tribulation and are brought into the kingdom, they will still have mortal bodies. Some of them will still die. Why? Well, because that's the effect of sin. That's the effect of sin. But with sin significantly limited in its impact and power, it seems that during those 1,000 years where Jesus Christ rules and reigns, It seems like once again, we'll live under conditions where our lifespans are longer, they're fuller, just like in the days back in Genesis. Remember the days back in Genesis when people were found to live hundreds and hundreds of years? Here's what Isaiah 65 says. If you have your Bibles, Isaiah 65 is a passage about the millennial kingdom. And in verse 20, it tells us this. It says, never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. What's that verse telling us? Well, remember back in Genesis when certain people lived like literally hundreds of years? Like Methuselah, who lived 969 years, or Noah, who lived 950 years? Well, this passage tells us that in the millennium, if anyone were to die at 100, it'll be like a a child just died, right? Relative to the amount of years people were living, it's like, man, Harold? Harold died at 102? Oh, he was so young. He was just starting life. That's how people will see those who pass earlier than 100. My friend's grandfather, um, almost 90 years old, still driving on the roads. We're just amazed at how sharp he is, how alert and aware he is. 90 years old and he's still driving. He still has his license. Well, in the millennium, in the millennial kingdom, if someone is driving at 90, it might be that we, we would see that person and say, oh, how cute. Like he's just learning to drive, like he's just getting started, probably working on his driver's permit. Why? Well, because that's how long we will live and 100 will be as he were a youth. Our lives will be stretched out because of the pristine conditions in which we live, just like it was back in Genesis when life all around will flourish and life under Christ as king when he is in charge when sin is limited in its impact, life too will be robust. So that's one description we get from scripture. Life will be robust. Here's what else we see. Number two, write this down. Peace will be reality. Peace will be reality. I read um, about this guy named Pedro Reyes. And Pedro Reyes did something bold. He went to one of the most dangerous cities in Sinaloa, Mexico, right? With a high crime rate, high death rate, one of the most dangerous because of the drug war there. But he challenged the city to turn in their guns. And he collected from the residents 1,527 guns. And what he did as an artist, is he turned those guns into 1,527 shovels. And those 1,527 shovels ended up planting 1,527 trees in that city to make it a beautiful place. That's a cool idea. The government heard about what Pedro Reyes did, and so they actually donated to Pedro... 6,700 more guns that they had collected that had been recycled. So here he has 6,700 guns and he began what he calls the Imagine Project. And the Imagine Project was him turning these guns into over 50 full-functioning musical instruments. Musical instruments that really play and he and his friends got together. You can find the music video online, but they make music. And Pedro Reyes says the purpose behind this imagined project was he wanted people to imagine, just imagine, what it's like when instruments of death can become instruments for life. That's what he wanted to show people. I think that's a great idea. But you know what, in the millennium, we won't have to imagine that because in the Millennium, it will be our reality. Check out what the scriptures say in Isaiah chapter 2. This is another passage about the millennium. It says, They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Like literally instruments for death will be turned into instruments for life. Imagine that place where the Democrat and the Republican are no longer enemies, but they are allies. Where the black man and the white man and the Asian man and the Latino man are no longer enemies, but they are allies. When the Trojan and the Bruin Are playing football together in the millennium. Isaiah 65 even says that the wolf and the lamb will lay together. The wolf and the lamb. In this day and age, if you see a lamb lying next to a wolf, it's because the wolf just ate the lamb. Like he just attacked and devoured the land. That's the only reason you'd find the two lying together, but there in the kingdom, there will be overwhelming peace, and enemies will become allies. Because peace will be a reality. Now, I don't know who or what causes peacelessness in your life. I don't know what's causing tension in your soul. I don't know what's causing turmoil. In your heart. But I want to encourage you with this hope because, in that day when peace is a reality, that backstabber will be your back scratcher, that competitor will be your companion, that hater will be your helper. Racism will be erased. There will be peace. And that will be our new norm. That will be our reality. And, and the question is, how is it possible that there could truly be a world with real peace? How is that possible? I'll, I'll tell you how it's possible in the millennium. Because there in the millennial kingdom, sitting on the throne, will be the prince of peace. He will be all about that. Isaiah chapter 9, another passage about the millennium is familiar to a lot of us. We usually read it as a Christmas passage, a Christmas passage about a, a child being born. But you know what that, re- that passage is really talking about? It's talking about a child is going to be born. There's going to be a newborn king, but why is he going to be born? So that one day that newborn king would be the king of a millennial kingdom. Let me show you that passage we all know so well. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And it says to us, for a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. Well, what's this son going to do? Well, it says the government will rest on his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Circle that title right there, Prince of Peace. What does this Prince of Peace do? Well, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom. To establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. There in the kingdom, his peace will increase, righteousness and justice will increase then and then forevermore. So the question is: we look at this passage, has the child been born? Yes. Is there peace on earth? Not yet. Not yet. But the promise is that when the Prince of Peace is in power, he will rule and he will lead a government in such a way that though sin exists in the millennial kingdom, the moment sin manifests, his government will ensure that sin is quickly dealt with, that order is restored, that justice is carried out, and that righteousness reigns. That's what we mean when we say righteousness will will reign. In that government, there will be no corruption. There will be no cover-ups. There will be no conspiracies. When that government is in place under the Prince of Peace, there truly will be peace on earth. Peace on earth. That will be our reality. Now here's my question as I was trying to read through this. Who is in that government? Like, really, think about that. If there's really a government here on earth under King Jesus, who holds those offices in that government? Well, the answers are right here in Scripture. Let's read on. Let's go back to Revelation 20, our passage for today. And verse 4 says this. It says, I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshiped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life, and check this out they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. You could pause right there. And so, Christ will be king of the millennial kingdom. But this verse tells us that there will be some people, okay, not all people, but some people who will be given authority to rule and to judge. They will reign with him for a thousand years. And and so though Christ is king, he will have a governing body, which he will carry on his shoulders, according to that prophecy in Isaiah 9. He will lead them. And those who get to reign under his leadership Will be rulers and they'll be reigning over the cities and the towns and the countries and the nations that inhabit the earth. So they're gonna be people in place of these nations and countries while Jesus rules from the throne in Jerusalem, physically in Jerusalem, which will be the king, which will be the capital of this kingdom. Jerusalem will be the capital of the millennial kingdom. And so here's the reality some believers, not all believers, Some believers will be kings while Christ is the king of kings. He sits on the throne. So my question at this point is, so who gets to rule? Who gets to reign alongside Jesus? Listen to this. This is the reward of the faithful. This is the reward of the faithful. So write this down for the third thing that I believe will happen during the millennial kingdom. Rewards will be redeemed. Rewards will be redeemed. Not only will life be robust and peace will be our reality, rewards will be redeemed. Now here's something we all have to understand. Not everyone living in the millennium will get to enjoy the same privileges. The Bible makes that clear. Some will get to the kingdom, barely make it there as if they were escaping through flames. That's what 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says explicitly. They're going to make it to the kingdom just barely, but they're going to be so glad and relieved that we made it. And yet, there will be others in the kingdom who will be reaping rewards, who will be enjoying rewards based on their faithfulness in this lifetime. And so that means they're in the millennial kingdom. Some will be experiencing great blessing just by being in the kingdom. And then there will be others who will be experiencing greater blessings by reigning in the kingdom. They will be reigning in his kingdom as part of their reward. I want to speak to those people that you might know, or maybe maybe some of you listening right now who go through life with this, this attitude of, oh, I'll just live how I want, and I'll just do what I want because I know God's grace forgives and he'll cover all my sins. And some people think, I'll just live how I want to live now. Maybe later I'll live for Jesus. And I know he'll forgive me then, but I'll just do what I want to do. And I want to speak to you and say, no, live faithfully now. This is the time to go all in for King Jesus. Don't ignore the numerous times, time and time again, when the Bible, when Jesus himself teaches this doctrine of rewards. It's right here all over the place. The Bible teaches us that it matters how we live now because that affects how we will live later. How we live now on this earth affects how we will experience life later in the kingdom. Let me turn you to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you have your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 10. This is talking about judgment that we're going to have to face. Second Corinthians five ten says this. This is written by Paul. He says, "For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil." Now, this judgment is a very interesting judgment. The one he writes about is not a judgment for unbelievers. This judgment right here is a judgment for believers, but it's not a bad judgment. It's not a time where Christians are going to be punished for our sins because Christ already took care of that on the cross, but it's going to be a judgment where Christians will be rewarded for their works. This is what we call the Bema judgment, the Bema seat judgment. Because that's the word that Paul used in the original Greek language when he wrote this. Bema is a reference to the, the Bema seat, which was a raised platform on which the Olympic judges or other kind of judges in competition would sit. And during the award ceremony, they were the ones to determine the awards given out. And so just like for us, like in the Olympics, if the judges are there giving the medals out, they're not penalizing or punishing anyone in that time. They're only rewarding people based on how they, how they did, how they performed. And in our Olympics, anybody standing on the podium will be thrilled, will be stoked to have made it to the podium, right? To, to be able to stand there is amazing. But, but what greater joy it is to receive the gold than the silver and what greater joy to receive the silver than the bronze and what greater joy to receive the bronze than no award at all all of them will be thrilled but different people will have different experiences of joy and reward and so we know this don't don't get it twisted we know as Christians we are saved by grace but as Christians, we will be rewarded for our works. Saved by grace, not, not saved by our works, saved by grace. But once we're saved by grace, we will be rewarded for our works. That means how we honor God now, how faithful we are to God with our time and our talents, with our resources and our responsibilities. How faithful we are now matters for us then why because it will be then in the millennial kingdom where we will begin to reap the rewards of our faithfulness after the 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 master returns and sees the kind of life we lived for some of us he will look at us and say well done well done good and faithful servant and so the question is what is the reward. What are the rewards promised to us? Well, so I swore I would never watch K-dramas. Told myself I I'm not gonna, I ain't gonna do it, right? These dramas that these Korean dramas that people get sucked into and, and can't stop binge watching, I would never do it. Well, do you know how we know we're living in the end times? Because I'm watching K-dramas. Yep, I got sucked into it. My wife got me into them, and I'm, I'm kind of loving it. But let me tell you about this one that I'm currently watching where it's, it's the story where this guy gets out of prison, and he, he wants to open up a restaurant to honor his father who passed away, and, and his goal one day is to build the largest food company in the whole country. And so he opens up the small restaurant. He's got these four people working with him. And these four among them are outcasts, are the social outcasts, the marginalized, even ex-convicts. And yet these four work so hard and are so faithful to their boss. That's what they call our boss. And yet through the thick and thin of trying to build this small business, which many of you guys probably know the struggle... The, the ups and downs of running this small business, something happens. The, the, the people working for him stick with him. They grind. They work hard. They're faithful to use their gifts. One's good at managing, so she manages. One's good at cooking, so she cooks. One's good at serving, so he serves. One's good at hosting, so he hosts. Now, if you don't want... To be spoiled, I'm going to give you a spoil alert. Go ahead and push pause right now because I'm about to give out what happened. So go ahead and push pause. Come back in 20 seconds. All right, good. You push pause. By the end of this series, they nail it. Like they literally go from this small pub, this small restaurant to the largest food corporation in all of Korea. And and this ex-convict who started this business becomes CEO. And guess who are his top executives? Guess who are his directors? Guess who are the presidents and vice presidents under him? The four who were faithful to him. Why do they get to be in these top-level offices with amazing views? Why do they get to have authority over the restaurants? Why do they get to make decisions? Why do they get to have this this life of luxury? And why do they get to lead with authority? Why do they get these privileges? Because they were faithful to Him, and they were faithful with the works of, that he gave them, and because he trusted them, he entrusted them the authority of helping run the business, a life that they came to love and enjoy. Revelation chapter 20, we go back to verse 4, once again he says, I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. Some will be rewarded the privilege to rule, the authority to judge. That's the reward of our master. Remember these parables that Jesus taught? Of the good and faithful servants, where he gives them a certain amount of, of currency and he leaves and he goes away. But when he comes back, what does he find? The ones who took what he gave them and did something with it, who are faithful to it. What does he say to them? He says, well done. Well done, good and faithful servants. But have you ever taken a closer look at what he says? Look at Luke's version of this parable, Luke 19, verse 16 through 19 says this. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina, which is a form of currency, has made 10 minas more. And the master said to him, well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful with very little, you shall have, check this out, authority over 10 Cities. Have you seen that before? Then the next one, verse 18, and the second one came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to them, and you are to be over five cities. What's Jesus revealing in this parable? That the reward of the faithful will be working with Jesus and those who are faithful with a little will be faithful over much. The reward of working with Jesus, I believe in the millennial kingdom, will be the privilege of reigning over cities and ruling over nations. That some of you who choose to be faithful to Jesus now, some of you will be reigning as kings where Jesus sits on the throne as the king of kings as he carries you on his shoulders. A couple years ago, I shared a story with you about a Saudi Arab- Arabian king who wanted to hold this golf tournament in his country because of his love of golf. And he wanted to invite the best players from around the world. And he invites this American pro golfer to come to his country to be part of this event. So he flies him over on his private jet, houses him with great King like accommodations. And over that time, over those days, the king and this American golfer built a a friendship, a a good relationship. They talked together, they ate together, they golfed together. But when it came time for the American golfer to return back to the US, the king was about to put him back on this private jet to fly him back. But the king was so thankful for their relationship. He said to the golfer, He says, What what can I give you as a way of saying thank you? And the golfer is, oh, you don't have to give me anything. You've already done so much. You've treated me so well like a king. He says, no, no, I insist. What would you like? And the golfer says, well, if you insist. He's like, I could always use a new golf club. The king says, very well. Be on your way. And he sends them on the plane, sends them back to the U.S. And, and the golfer's kind of like excited, right? He's like, man, the king of Saudi Arabia might give me a golf club. And he's thinking, is it going to be handcrafted? Is it going to be made of pure gold? Is it going to be the most expensive golf club ever to hit American soil? And so truth be told, over the next few days, he's checking the mail. Like he's checking to see if there's the, a long package in the mail from the king of Saudi Arabia. Well, nothing comes after a few days. Weeks and weeks and weeks go by. Then one day, a package comes in the mail about yay big, definitely not the shape of a golf club, but it's about this big and it's thick, and he opens it up, and as the golfer reads what's inside of that package, he sees that this certified package from Saudi Arabia is from the king, and he sees that in it is a deed for a 500-acre country club. He asked the king for a golf club. The king gave him a golf club. He made him the owner of his very own golf club. What's the point of the story? I don't know if it's true or not. It could be a, a, a folk tale, but here's the moral of the story. That you and I think a lot differently than kings think. That kings tend to think in kingdom proportions. That when we think of the rewards that King Jesus tells, about, tells us about, sometimes we're thinking medals. He's thinking Nations. He's thinking cities and countries. He's thinking thrones. He wants to bless you with amazing privilege and joy there in the millennial kingdom. Now, some of us, when we hear this, I'm willing to bet some of us are like, well, I don't care to rule. I don't need to be king. I don't want to reign. It's all about Jesus anyway. I don't want it to be about me. But, But listen, listen, if you are all about Jesus... Then do you trust Jesus? Do you trust him when he says, this is worth it? This is worth altering your life now. This is worth living faithfully for. This is worth storing your treasures in heaven. Great is my reward. Do you trust him when he says, this is a good thing you ought to live for? And some of us are like, I don't want to have impure motives. It's not about me. Hey, but, but do you trust Jesus when he says, this is the motivation for you to live faithfully? Great is my reward. Sometimes I don't think we have any idea what the king wants to give us. So will we trust him? And will we look forward to his kingdom And what we will receive there. C.S. Lewis wrote this. He says, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the world, the other world, that they have become so ineffective in this world. And so friends, listen. How we live now matters how we live now matters for how you will live then and according to jesus live for the king's reward and so during the millennium life will be robust peace will be reality and rewards will be redeemed set your sights on the kingdom to come may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven So now we close with this. What happens at the end of the millennium? What happens after the millennium? I want to close the passage. Go back to Revelation 20 and verse 7 continues. It says this. Now when the thousand years were over, Satan will be released from his prison, and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But... Fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So at the beginning of the millennium, we said that Satan is going to be locked up in the abyss. And then at the end of the millennium, we learned that he is going to be released from the abyss, and then he's gonna go into this millennium kingdom, and he's gonna lead a multiple amount of people, a multitude of people, to attack Christ and His people. Now, when I read this, I was thinking, "Wait, hold, hold on! Now, how does this even happen? Like, how is it that there are these people who, for the past hundreds and hundreds, maybe even a thousand years, were with Jesus as their king? How is it that these people who experienced the life he gives, and the peace he gives, and the rewards that he gives, how can they possibly rebel and turn against him? And I realize how. I realize it's because the deceiver is that good at what he does. He deceives. And verse 8 right here told us that he will once again go and deceive the nation's And he will turn them against God. And if he could do it back in the garden to people who knew no sin at all, who only knew God, he could do it again. He could do it again. And he will. But but to make a short story short, the devil is immediately, he doesn't get very far at all because he's immediately defeated. He is devoured by fire from heaven. And just like that, at his first attempt, the devil is caught, caught captured, and thrown into eternal prison, the lake of fire, to join the Antichrist, where together they will be tormented and punished forever and ever and ever. And there they will live in agony ever after the end for the devil the end for the devil but here's what i want to point out here's what i want to point out in the millennium for those 1000 years sin still exists sin is there but why are the people there full of peace Instead of hatred? Why do wars cease instead of rage? Why are instruments of death turned into instruments of life? Why is the government there not corrupt and unjust, but rather promoters of peace and justice? Why? I'll tell you why because for 1,000 years, even though sin exists, Jesus is king and he has no rivals. Jesus is the only king they know and bow to for those 1,000 years. And so peace and righteousness and kindness and joy and and, and mercy and grace, those things will be easy when the king that you serve is all about those things. When when, when the, the only king you know is about those things, those things will be easy to live out. That's what the millennial kingdom will be like. That's what we have to look forward to. But the reality is, here we are, here and now. The reality is, today, in this world that we live in, there are rivals. There are rivals. There are rival gods and kings made of gold and silver, made of little plastic and green paper, made of powder and liquids, made of digital screens, of momentary attention, of temporary highs. And there is a deceiver who is currently at large. And he will do anything to lure you and to entice you and to tempt you to worship any other gods except the true God who sits on the throne. And he will do this daily. And here's Here's the truth, until we are there, friends, until we are there in that kingdom where Jesus is our only king and there is no rival, the challenge that we have to face each day here and now is this, who is your king? And who rules in your heart? Who is your king and who rules in your heart? See, the reality, this world that we currently live in, this age it will never be like the age to come. We will never have perfect peace. The sin and the hatred and racism and the anger, the injustice and oppression will never come to an end as long as we live in this world. But listen. You may not be able to change your spouse's behavior. You may not be able to change your child's decisions. You may not be able to change your boss's attitude. You may not be able to change your neighbor's habits, but you can change you. You can change you based on who you choose to be your king. So choose this day whom you will serve. And you can change you when you choose Jesus to be the king of your heart. You may not be able to change the world around you. But you can choose to bring peace to the world. You can choose to bring righteousness to the world. You can choose to bring love to the world. You can choose to bring compassion to the world. You can choose to bring grace to the world. You can choose love when you choose Jesus in everything. And so I implore you right now, choose Jesus. And I'll leave you with this last question. So who is the king of your heart? Who is the king of your heart? And I guarantee you, Jesus is the king of your heart now. He will be your king in the kingdom. Amen. Amen. Would you guys bow and pray with me? And as you have your eyes bowed, I want to invite every single person listening, maybe for the first time, or maybe for the 100th time, would you declare Jesus as king? Would you invite him into your life today, this moment, to be the ruler of your heart, to to help govern your thoughts, to help determine your decisions, to help you think the way he wants you to think Declare Christ as king. And the Bible says you can have a relationship with that king if you would confess with your heart that he is Lord, that he is master, that he is king. You just declare he is. And you believe in your heart that he died and rose from the grave to demonstrate he has power. You will be saved. You believe that. And the kingdom is yours. And you will be a citizen in that kingdom. I want to lead you in a prayer And this is a prayer to be able to express faith in Christ as king. Pray something like this. And as I say it out loud, talk to God as if you were talking straight to him. Father God, thank you. Thank you for reminding me that the devil is not king. That no other thing is king. That I myself am not king. But you are so right now, God, I declare with my mouth and believe in my heart that you truly are King, you are my Lord, and you are my master. Forgive me of my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross for me, Jesus. Help me now to live for you. Help me not to put it off. Help me not to wait, but today help me to live faithfully. And to store up my treasures in heaven. I look forward to the day where your kingdom will be on earth as it is in heaven. Help me to live for that. I love you, King Jesus. And I pray in your name. Amen.